The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Friday, April 22nd, 2022, and it is a heck of a morning indeed here on the MMA Fighting Twitter Spaces Live, and then later on on the MMA Fighting Podcasting Network. I am Mike Heck. It is Friday. How can you not be having just a little bit of a better day knowing that the weekend is around the corner? Of course, if you're MMA fans, this is kind of like a Tuesday because there's always events on Saturday, and in this case, we got... Bellator 278 later on tonight. If you're watching one championship right now, they have an event going on right now. We have Tyson Fury, Dillian White tomorrow. We have Bellator 279 tomorrow. We have UFC Vegas 52 tomorrow. So there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on in the world of mixed martial arts. And this is a free-for-all Friday, as you can see in the title which means this is your show. We're going to talk about whatever it is you want to talk about. We're just going to take calls until there are no more, and then we're going to enjoy the rest of our day. But I do want to get something out there right off the bat because for some reason, this keeps getting brought up. Every time I jump on Instagram, there's a random DM from somebody. I mean, they're very respectful about it, but I I think people are misconstruing some of the words that are coming out of my mouth, if you will. And the topic that I have in my mind right now is the Bilal Muhammad callout after he defeated Vicente Luque at UFC Vegas 51 this past Saturday because this has been something that I have just been very against. I went on Twitter seconds before Bilal Muhammad got the microphone in his face 
And he said, and I, I said, all right, Bilal, good performance. Just be smart with the callouts. Don't call out Usman. Don't call out Colby because you have zero percent chance, a zero percent chance of getting either of those fights. So go for Shamayev. Just go after the man. You might not even get in my mind, like he might not even get that fight, but in my mind also he has a better chance to get that fight than he did the Colby fight. Now, people are questioning that. And no one's like really giving me crap about it, but I guess they wanted an ex more of an explanation for me. Listen, this is not Bellator. This is the UFC. This is not a this is not a meritocracy at this point. It's different when you're a guy like Shamayev and you hold a lot more cards. People are willing to spend money to watch you on pay per view. They're willing to. Make sure that they invest enough time to watch you compete. And I'm not saying that Bilal Muhammad is not that guy, but I guess in a way I am because Bilal, I mean, Bilal's a very good fighter. Is he the most aesthetically pleasing fighter? Maybe not, but the dude wins. The dude wins. He's on an incredible winning streak. All he does is win right now. The callouts after these fights are just really bad because. In a, in a world of meritocracy, hell, if we took the UFC roster and put it in Bellator, Bellator would try to make Ball Muhammad versus Colby Covington. They would certainly try. They would hear Bilal's call out and be like, you know what? Let's do that fight. Let's put that one on Showtime. Cool. But here's the thing. This is the UFC. The UFC is not going to look at that fight and be like, oh, man, we got a headline of an ABC card with this fight. This has to be a five-round co-made event on a pay-per-view. Colby versus Shamayev, whole different ballgame. Whole different ballgame. So the reason that I didn't like the ball call is just because I don't think Colby cares. He doesn't want to fight Bilal Muhammad. Why? Because it does nothing for him. It does nothing for Colby. If he wins, he just wins a fight. It doesn't move him any closer to a title. It doesn't move him any closer to a big fight. It moves him nowhere. It moves him nowhere. He's stagnant. And Colby Covington, like most fighters, is a prize fighter. And what a prize fighter does is you take the definition, at least in my mind, of like how you win prize fighting is you take minimal risk for a lot of reward. It would like Covington fighting Tired Woodley, fighting Jorge Mazdal. Super winnable fights. I mean, extremely winnable fights. Nobody thought Jorge Mazdal was going to go in there and beat Colby Covington. They just didn't. And this is no knock on Mazdal. This is just the matchup that we saw in front of us. It was a big fight that people are going to watch. The casual audience was going to be in there because you have two guys who used to be friends that are enemies that really didn't like each other that are just going to bicker at each other all the time. Casual fans are going to watch the crap out of that thing. Colby's like, yeah, I am all in on this fight because I know I'm going to win and I know I'm going to make a lot of money doing it. So the Bilal, like, the Bilal fight, I would favor Colby to win that fight. I would feel pretty confident in picking Colby to win that fight. But again, a win over Bilal Muhammad does absolutely nothing for Colby Covington. Literally nothing. Gets no closer to a third fight with Kamar Usman. Gets no closer to a fight with Israel Adesanya, which I know he's talked about recently, gets him no closer to a fight with Dustin Poirier. It's just him fighting. It's just him fighting. 
That's, I mean, that's literally all it is. It's just him getting in a fight. And if he wins, he's probably on a flat fee anyway. So it's not like he's getting win and show money or anything like that. He literally gets, he gains nothing from fighting Bilal Muhammad. Bilal gets the rub, but Colby gets nothing. And a lot of people I hear saying that, oh, Colby's just going to find an excuse to not fight Hamzat Shemaev. I don't think that's true. I really don't. I think Colby will fight him because there's actually something to gain from it. If he loses, yeah, he goes out and loses to the to the dude that everyone's talking about right now. But also, if you're Colby, you want this to be five rounds. You want this to be on ABC. You want this to be in a big spot. Therefore, I mean, if, if Colby gets the Shamaya fight and wins that fight, he's probably fighting Kamara Usman next or getting just a gigantic fight after that. He doesn't get the same thing with Bilal. So that's that was basically where I'm coming from. I've gotten a lot of messages about this. I'm not knocking Bilal in general, but if you're going to go on the media tour after the fight and after you have a live microphone in your face, just keep that same energy. Just call Colby out. Just go after him. But the problem with Bilal is he'll make a crazy call out that he's for a fight he's not going to get, and then he'll realize, like, ah, oh, damn it, I should have called out this other guy. And then he goes on the media tour that Ali sets up for him, and then he'll call out Shamayev. And at that point, nobody really cares. You had your shot. You only have like a 30-second window to make that impact. And he just didn't. And that's all. I mean, that's all it was. It's no knock on Bilal. I think the guys – I've been following Bilal since he was a regional fighter, since before he was in the UFC. I've been interviewing him since he was a Titan FC champion. And he's a great fighter. And I'm very happy for him, but – at this point, like, you got to be smart. You got to be smart. And I think if he went out there and just cut a scathing promo on Shemaev, not saying, and, and this is just a just in case, like, if for some reason they can't get Colby Shemaev together, Bilal just went out there and just went on a rant about Shemaev. Guess what, bro? You're beatable. You're beatable. Gilbert almost beat you. I'm better than Gilbert. And if we fight, I'm going to beat you. I'm going to hand you your first loss. Gets a little more impact. Gets a little more clout. And if so for some reason they can't get the Covington fight, Bilal has, the, has a good opportunity to slide right in there. So there you go. Just getting that off my chest. It's a free-for-all Friday. Let's get after this thing. I, I'm, I don't know if I want to do this, but I'm going to try. We have not uh, had a lot of luck attempting this, but a little Mike and Mikey Bats chatter on a Friday morning. Mikey, how are you? Yes. Awesome, man. I got feedback, I got though. feedback though. Can you uh, turn Can down? You, uh, turn down? Oh, you got feed? Yeah, I'll, I'll turn down my phone. Right, I'm not using a headphone, just using air. Can you hear it's me? Good. Yeah, it's better. Yeah, it's all better. Right. What's up? Finally, I, I think I saw that. I think I need to take out the headphones. So, good morning, everyone. How's it going? <laughs> What's going on? What's going on, man? Nothing much, man. Uh, yeah, dude, I agree with you. Um, I mean, I, I personally didn't mind that he called out uh, Colby, but yeah, that's just one of those fights where it's just like that's a fight for a fight's sake, and that's always nice, but. He's trying to make an impact because especially especially when you're one of those fighters, like you said, where it's just like if your mouth does more impact than you're fighting, then you have to balance it out. It's like it's like what Mayweather did, right? Like Mayweather figured out the game, you know, be flashy, be flamboyant, you know, talk a big game, but then like put on the most but then put on these safe defensive fights. And the key was just to get everybody to tune in to watch them and. That's what Kobe tries to do, and that's what Bilal needs to do, you know? Talk of a big game, and then, you know, 
get people to tune in to see him fight these people that either he knows he can beat or at least can, you know, garner some attention around. I mean, it's, it's an interesting thing. It, it, Welterweight's in such a weird flux right now because, let's be honest, the 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 couple, last couple of Usman fights kind of logjammed the division. You know, like, those rematches with Masvidal and Colby didn't need to happen at the moment it needed to happen, but it is what it is, you know? And um, it's just, like I said, I, Welterweight's not logjammed, but it needs to get flowing more. And uh, that's why I think Chimaev needs to be the guy that gets the title shot next, just to keep things moving. And then the UFC needs to put a little more muscle into, like, you know, Shavkat Rachmanov, but he's going to get Magni, and that's, you know, that one needs to shake out. You know, I think some of these guys needs to wait and see how the division shakes out to, you know, get these fights going, and it's just, ah, man, I, I don't know, man. It's just, that's what happens when you have a dom When you have a dominant champion, you're left trying to scramble to find viable contenders, you know, because obviously you can just run down the, in, in a perfect world, you just run down the line, right? Like, you do the whole, it's like, all right, Usman beat one through four, put up number five. But a couple of these guys got talked. They got to ruffle some feathers and see what happens. But um, this is why, this is why, oh man, I wish that the UFC and Bellator and all these other promotions that have like really good fighters, if they can all, I, I, I'm not for co-promotion, but like a loan system or something, like can, you know, call Coker up and be like, hey, man, can, can I borrow Douglas Lima for a fight? <laughs> you know what I mean? Can I get Michael Venom Page to fight somebody? You know what I mean? So, like, just because especially in the other divisions, like, you see what's happening in the bantamweight division, right? And I'm, like, everyone's like, okay, who who's next for, you know, Peter Jan or uh, Aljamain Sterling? I'm like, I got, for the first time in a very long time, Bellator has a few fighters that I legitimately want to see fight other guys in the UFC. Usually, it's always like a tier system. It's like, ah, you know, yeah, that guy would be nice in the UFC, but most of the guys in the UFC are like, you know, better than other other cream of the crop. But there's a couple guys in Bellator that I really wouldn't mind coming into the UFC like right away. And it's like, I mean, the UFC dropped the ball a couple of times too in their sense because it's like, look at Sergio. Like the fight would be the fight should be Aljamain versus Sergio. But Sergio's not in the UFC, so you know it's it's one of those things, man. It's it's almost it's almost like an embarrassment of Richard Promise. Like it's 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 a problem you want to have, but it's just as fans, it's it's weird because you're just sitting there watching it all unfold and just praying for these things to happen. You know, like AJ McKee talked up all this big game and then just dropped the ball and dropped the belt, and it's like, you know, Pitbull's been talking up trying to fight a UFC champion for God knows how long, but is not knuckling up for it. Heck, look at what PFL is doing to Bellator. I'm like, how are you, like, you're not going to get troll promotion trying to trash Bellator on social media. Just like, I hate to say it, and I usually don't say this about Coker, but like, Coker's right. Like, give me a call, man. You want to do this cyborg Kayla Harrison fight? Give me a call. You know, it's that easy. So I'm just, I don't know, man. It's very interesting. I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are on it. Thank you, Mike. I'm glad we were finally get, able to get you on. Yeah, I mean, listen, welterweight's interesting. You got a dominant champion. You got Kamaru Usman. I still feel like Colby Covington is the second best welterweight in the world. Hamzat's in that conversation right now as well. It, it's just one of those fights. Like, there's certain fights that I would I wouldn't mind seeing run back like a thousand times. Like Figueroa Moreno, I'll watch that fight ten times. 
you know, the, the, Covington Usman is a fight I'd watch like a best of seven of. Like I, I thought those are two competitive fights, and I've talked to a lot of people who felt Colby beat Usman in the second fight. I am not one of those people. I thought Usman won that fight, but there are just certain competitive matchups that are just cool. And here's the thing: here's the thing. Bellator does better than the UFC. They at least some a lot of times like they don't execute well. And they have good ideas. The problem is nobody is aware of these ideas until, like, the day of. Bellator at least, like, tries to have fun and do Grand Prix and do tournaments and do all these fun things. And, yes, I know what you're going to say. The UFC is doing a tournament, too. But this is not This is not the tournament that we want to see. Like, when 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 the reports came out that the UFC was going to do tournaments in all these different divisions, it was like, wow. All right, cool. We're going to see like a flyweight tournament and a bantamweight tournament, a featherweight tournament. And like the winner of these tournaments are going to go and fight for titles. And, you know, it was a very intriguing thought. And then we needed like two minutes to realize that the UFC is not going to have that kind of fun. They're going to use this to, bring in more talents at less money. So that's what they're doing this for. They're putting together tournaments. They're giving fans what they quote unquote want, but it's a reason to bring in fighters on 10 and 10 contracts and pay them less to fight on these other cards. It's very, it's just a contender series on steroids, if you will. But with fighters on the most part, like outside of, of Asia and that part of the world that not a lot of people know about. So at least Bellator like tries to have fun. Like a bell, a UFC welterweight Grand Prix would be super fascinating. Bantamweight would be ridiculously fascinating. Featherweight would be a lot of fun. Like some of these divisions where we have dominant champions, like a Volkanovski, like an Usman, so forth and so on, a Grand Prix would be perfect, especially like in the heavyweight division right now. Like that'd be a lot of fun because Ngannou's not fighting. He, I mean, hell, he, he might not fight in the UFC ever again. Maybe he will, maybe he won't. But look at the names you have at heavyweight. Some very interesting characters. Imagine throwing Alexander Romanov at a heavyweight Grand Prix right now. A guy that's not ranked, but a guy that everybody is super high on. What if he goes out there and just steamrolls everybody? You throw Romanov in there with, like, it got to Like, you get some really interesting storylines. But here's the thing. Bellator tries to have more fun than the UFC. It's just more people know what's going on in the uh, wonderful world of Endeavorland. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. Don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down, and new customers to DraftKings can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. 
Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Let's get Hendrix in here on a free-for-all Friday. Let's see. The wheel is spinning. The wheel is spinning. Hendrix, are you there? You just got to unmute. I don't know if you have headphones on. Oh, I'm, I'm here. I'm here. I'm... There we go. What's up, buddy? Oh, good, friend. How are you? Um, good. What you got? Okay. Well, um, I think that since we're just going, we're, we're not really specific on anything right now. Since we're just trying to just freestyle, um, considering what we're talking about, I would say um, being uh, knowing the fact that the UFC is now more of a has turned into a little bit of a more than talent. I would say uh, yeah, you know. Uh, we we know that okay there are there are a lot of boring fighters we have Bella Mohammed uh prior to when uh Usman became champion he was also this he was he he, he was more of a uh sit down lay on you grappler same thing same same thing Leon Edwards is doing and, he, and he's on a he's on a nine fight win streak but at the same time he's not uh he he hasn't been he's not even put in the title conversation because nobody wants to see another man lay on another man for 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 twenty for how many minutes, just consistently over and over. But at the same time, I think UFC is beginning to put actually not, not no mostly UFC actually because one Bellator, you know they they you know you could say they put talent above uh, the whole social media and and uh uh. uh how do they say the social media and your WWE promote? I I I didn't want to use that word, but I it had to get down to it because, it, you know, it it's becoming way too. You know, I think it's nice. It's nice that people fighters have their own personality, and fighters can have. You know, you can you have Kobe Covington's personality. Okay, when before prior to when Kobe was uh developed this persona of the savage. Uh, uh the the savage american uh you know uh, make america again that kind of stuff that, that i love that person actually i wish he had he he had done that i mean i i wish that was how he was prior to when it was announced that he would get cut 
you understand so him getting uh him him start de developing that persona after we realized that okay uh he was going to get dinner i was going to call him and all of that kind of thing it just felt like oh this thing is just like a coping mechanism or a way to rescue the situation and all that kind of thing Sha. so yeah um but be that as it may be that as it may i think that the ufc is is focusing too much on um on the the personas that fighters can create and uh and more than the talent that they have to offer i mean like i said one isn't doing this Bellator isn't really focused on this we have the pfl you know i i just i just started watching pfl matches just how long ago and i'm like wow you know because i've i've been mostly strictly ufc my ever since i started watching and I've been mostly UFC my whole life. So watching uh, other promotions doing things that don't just involve people having to yap and yap throughout press conferences and base the entire PPV uh, uh, around things like that, it's just, it's, 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 it's uh, I don't know, it's a breath of fresh air if you want to put it in that, in that context, you understand. Um, yeah. that's what I feel regarding that's what I feel regarding just uh, the the uh, personas that UFC push and uh, another thing for Hamzat Chimaev um I think you said something about the fact that he uh, it it wouldn't cost Kobe anything to fight him right now cuz if he loses it's uh he lost to a guy who has all the hype around him and if he wins he just solidifies his place as the top two welterweights in the whole wide world. Uh, and I think you are right about that because at this stage, Hamza Chimaev is that, you know, he's that new kid on the block with he's fresh, he's hungry. The guy is so hungry. He's he he wants to fight. He wants to dominate. He wants to own everybody. You know, I think that when it gets down to it, we can all argue about how yeah he wants how he may lose, you understand? Because at this stage, I don't see him after after what he did with Burns. Uh, it's very hard to see him, you know, because it's very hard to see him going anywhere with Kobe. You understand, especially Kobe Covington, not anybody else. Kobe Covington himself, you know, I don't see him though. But at the same time, the fact that he's hungry and his drive is very is very lovely to see, and I hope we get to see more of that in the UFC, not just uh the uh you know. The, the persona that he, he has, he's he's hungry. You understand? He pushes this person. He he looks like he wants to fight. You understand? He looks like he's, he, his Twitter handle is active. You know, he calls out fighters. And it's, that's cool. But it's not just limited to what he he says on the road or how many videos he does or uh, what he says on the media and everything like that. He You can see it in his eyes that he actually, it, it gives me this, uh, this 20... McGregor, I think 2013 or so, I would say, if I'm not getting the, the year incorrect. You understand? Oh yeah, you know, absolutely. He, Hedricks, he, I, pre I, I appreciate you, my man. We gotta we gotta move on though. I uh, don't mean to cut you off, but uh, we got a lot of people waiting in line. Some some interesting thoughts though. I will say that Hendricks. Uh, here's the thing, okay? Bellator won PFL. I mean, if you're into that kind of thing. When it's when you're not you're worried about just martial arts competition, you're worried about just fights for fight's sake. It it is a refreshing thing, and that's why MMA is such a great sport because there's so many promotions, there's so many different things going on. There's there is the breath of fresh air, and when people talk about the UFC, 
and some of the matchmaking that they put together, I always say, all right, well, if you don't like it, you go to Bellator and Bellator will, will put together the sort of matchups that, that you like. It's all meritocratic. It's all one fights, two, three fights, four, five fights, six, all that kind of stuff. Unless there's injuries and other things, but see, here's the thing with the UFC. They're successful because the brand is what it is. Like here's, here's a great example. I think pro wrestling right now, despite people saying that it's like the, in one of the best spots it's ever been, I think pro wrestling sucks. Like, I think it sucks. The WWE sucks. It's horrible. Raw sucks. SmackDown sucks. NXT sucks. All those shows are awful. And I made a, a terrible mistake of trying to watch those shows before WrestleMania because I never miss WrestleMania. And I don't even know what's on the show. I have no idea what's on the show. But it's WrestleMania. It's the brand. And I'm not going to miss it. I'm not going to miss it. For some reason, I always find myself watching WrestleMania. Now, did I know that Steve Austin was going to be part of night one? Of course I did. So you bet your ass I was watching that first night. But the second night, I fell asleep halfway through. Because the show sucks. Like The show sucks. The way they put these shows together are horrendous. It's awful. But... It's WrestleMania. It's the brand. And I, for some reason, I don't miss it. And that's what the UFC has done at this point. They have made themselves their own brand to the point where Bellator 279 compared to UFC Vegas 52 is a thousand times better. It's a thousand times better card. They have the better fights, main events. I mean, well, the main event for the UFC is a little more competitive, but Chris Cyborg is a way bigger star than, than both women in the, in the main event of the UFC. It's a better card, more intriguing fights, but more people are going to watch the UFC because the UFC is the brand. My father thinks the UFC is a sport. Oh, yeah, you're going to do that UFC thing. Like, he infuses UFC for MMA. He thinks MMA is, like, its own separate promotion. But the UF, there's the UFC and then there's MMA, right? Like, that's, that's how people in the bubble and out of the bubble sort of view the UFC. It's pretty wild. Um, but yeah, some interesting points. And then the Colby thing, I just want to touch it real quick. Colby's a guy that probably nobody has talked to Colby Covington more than I have in his entire UFC run. And I will say that before this make America great political side of Colby, that kind of got over in whatever way you want to look at it. Colby was actually a really strong interview early on in his UFC career. He talked a lot of fire. He said some things about, like, he he fired at Kamara Usman pretty early in his career. And I remember the first time I interviewed him before he got to the UFC, I was like, all right, this guy's pretty good. And then before he was, when he was winning fights, he was trying to get top 15 opponents. He was talking, and this is right around the time when he was holding up signs outside and people were taking pictures of him saying, like, we'll fight for food or whatever because no one would take a fight with him. But he was on fire on those interviews and he didn't need to talk about politics or anything, you know, controversial or anything like that. He just fired. He just went off the top of the dome was had some, some vigor to him, some fire in his belly. And he's always sort of had that in him. He really, in my opinion, never really needed that persona. It just never showed that when the red light was on. And then his fighting style at the time wasn't the most aesthetically pleasing didn't have a ton of personality to back it up, at least when, when, when he had a live microphone in front of him. But when he was doing those interviews, 
back in the day with me in like 2017, man was firing on all cylinders. And it was a surprise to me that he never really got over, but he ain't shy about the red light now. That's for sure. Let's move on. Let's go to Hamilton. Let's see. Wheel is spinning. Hamilton. Just get on mute. Hamilton, are you there? Hello. Hi. Hello, sir. Hi. Good morning. Uh, first of all, my 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 English is not so good, but uh, I'm gonna try say one or two things. Uh, you are talking about Kobe Kobito and Shimaev, right? Yes. Well, we can talk about whatever you want, but that's one of the things we're talking about I, today. For sure. I think I, I think in a possible fight between them, I. I would bet $1 in Kobe Covington. I think he's a very good fighter. Shimaev also. But I think the style of fighting uh, by Kobe Covington uh, would, uh, would, would be enough for beating Shimaev with the wrestling and takedown, etc. Et uh, Durinho, Gilbert Burns, almost won him uh, some, some days ago. And uh, I I don't I don't like Obi Covington, really don't like him. But he's a very good fighter. I think he he could beat Shimaev. Uh, and second thing, I'm I'm waiting for the Chris Cyborg's fight tomorrow. And I would like to to listen. What what, what do you think about Chris Cyborg, uh, her, her career? And, and her possible next fights in Bellator or out of Bellator. That's all. Uh, thank you very much. Sorry by my, my bad English. And uh, bye-bye. Thank you, Hamilton. Your English is great. Your English is fantastic. Thank you so much. Uh, so Chris Iborg, listen. She's in the con- like. I, I, actually, I actually think she's the best female fighter of all time. Amanda Nunes, what she has done, Amanda Nunes has the win over Chris Cyborg. So if you want to say Amanda Nunes is the greatest female fighter of all time, sure. It's not anything I'm going to like go crazy about. And it's not a hill I'm willing to die on. But at least in my personal opinion, after Amanda got stopped by Juliana Pena, not only did she lose the Bantamweight title, but I think she lost the title of being the best female fighter of all time. I think it's Chris Cyborg. I think she changed the game in a lot of ways. And I know there's in some people's eyes, there's kind of an asterisk on that because of some of the early drug testing and all that stuff, but who cares? You know, that was a long time ago. We still talk about when baseball was great, when the home runs are being hit, McGuire and Sosa, nobody cared about the steroids and all that stuff. Then this is a sport that needed to come back and, and get some juice behind it. No pun intended, but yeah, I mean, there's no asterisk on it now. She's passing all the tests. She fought for the UFC. Yeah, she lost to Nunez, but I would love to see what that fight looks would look like now, honestly. And I, and that's why I really want to see what Cyborg versus Kayla Harrison would look like. I think that'd be a really interesting fight. It's more, it's the most interesting fight you can make right now for Kayla Harrison and and for Chris Cyborg, for being honest. But. Who knows? And then the Colby Shmaev thing. Listen, if you think Colby's going to beat Shmaev, I ain't going to argue with you. It's an interesting fight. Now, if it's a three-round fight, I'm favoring Shmaev to win. 
But in a five-round fight, all Colby has to do is win one of the first three rounds, and I think he's got a real good chance to win. Just win one of the first three rounds, get into round four, survive the the, the powerful onslaught that Shemayev's going to bring, and he's got a chance to win. That style, he doesn't stop. He doesn't get tired. The chain wrestling, the attempted takedowns, just the 100-mile-an-hour, I'm going to throw everything at you, a pace that everybody would get tired from. It's not going to get him tired. He's going to keep going. And we saw Shemaev get tired in that Gilbert Burns fight. And how could you not? Because that fight was ridiculous. But one person who wouldn't be tired in a fight like that is Colby. So that's what makes that fight really interesting. I'm going to bring in my man Stevie Ray because if you haven't checked this out, he did a tremendous piece uh, about a regional promotion, XFC, I believe. I believe that's what it was. But I did read it. It was really good. Uh, Kind of being some scumbags out there. Kind of being some scumbags, screwing over some shareholders, screwing over fighters. I'm seeing fighters on uh, social media complaining. I've seen employees of this promotion complaining, uh, and rightfully so, about not being compensated for their work for the promotion, whether it be in or out of the cage. And I was always a little skeptical about this promotion and what they were trying to do. And it turns out my skepticism was was right. And I know this for sure because of the great work of Stephen Ray joins us right now. He's, uh, you could read that piece on the scrap. You probably see it on social media all over the place. Stevie, what's up, man? Great job on that, by the way. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me on again, and uh, thanks for supporting my work. And yeah, uh, quite a quite a shocking piece, I think, for everybody. Well, aside from us who were skeptical from the beginning, I think. Yeah, I mean, if here, here's a lesson in life: me being kind of the old senior in, in the bunch in the MMA media space, one of the older older gentlemen if it's too good to be true it probably is so i mean that's kind of how i felt about it but yeah you did a really good job on that man thanks my man yeah uh, i've got more coming on the on the topic more based on fighters who have been putting out stuff on their social media about not being compensated yet but yeah that was uh that was just mainly on the ceo steve smith who's kind of got this pattern you know as you would have read of kind of ripping off fighters companies uh employees shareholders things like that yeah so yeah, it's uh, definitely definitely something I recommend listeners to keep an eye on. Yeah, we'll have more coming on the matter. But today, Mike, I just wanted to ask you a quick question about uh, obviously the rumored July twenty third card uh, that should be happening in the UK. Sure. So obviously, we seen yesterday that Mohamed Mokayev got booked against Charles Johnson, which is a absolute banger of a fight. Hundred percent. And I want to know your thoughts on that fight, and also potentially on the thought of having Usman Edwards in the UK. Obviously, probably the first UK title fight since Bisping Henderson in 2016. Thank you, Stevie. Yeah, by the way, again, uh, go check that out on the scrap.co. Uh, Stevie did a really good job writing that piece, doing some really good stuff, talking to people on the record. Uh, just really good stuff. Uh, well done. Great journalism right there. Stevie's a good guy. Yeah, I mean, I've been hearing... Rob- July, the the rumblings about the UFC returning to UK. It's been th- these are rumblings that have been happening since the first card, uh, since the March card that that went over. Um, when I was in Jacksonville, there was a lot of talk about July being a thing. Um, the date was kind of up in the air. Was it going to be the twenty third? Was it going to be the thirtieth? I know there's been kind of a a little wishy washiness going on with the second pay per view. Is it going to be in Anaheim? Is it going to be in Dallas? Is it going to be in London? Nobody really knows. So. I mean, I, a lot of the things are still trying to be worked out. I know Usman Edwards was kind of uh, a targeted thing because Dana even said it 
after the March card that, man, the one thing we're missing, we're missing on that car is a title fight. And here's the thing. And I've said this on the show before. If you're going to do Usman versus Edwards, that's where you do it. That is the exact place where you do that. Nowhere else makes sense. You can't do Usman versus Edwards in Vegas. I mean, you could if you just need to fill a spot, but like, it's just going to be like two guys fighting in front of a crowd that's just like, cool, there's two guys fighting and one of them has a shiny gold belt. But in England, here's the people waiting for Leon to get his moment, right? He's winning all these fights. Has it been the most impressive? Probably not. Is it? Are people hankering to see Leon Edwards fight? Some are. Most aren't. If you've listened to this show for the last 11 episodes, that's just kind of the way people feel about Leon. But if you want to get this guy over, if you want to make him look like a potential star for your company, you do that fight in London. It will invoke emotion from that crowd. People boo Usman out of the building, and Usman loves that. And Leon will look like a massive superstar. That London crowd was incredible in March. And can you imagine uh, an English fighter fighting for a world title at that arena with those fans? It'd be amazing. It'd be absolutely amazing. And if that's what ends up happening, it's a great move. It's a great move on the UFC's part, putting that fight in London, trying to get Lee on the rub and getting Usman that kind of like that heel persona, if you will, in that spot. So I love it. The Mahayev Johnson fight, I love. Great matchup. And it just goes to show you that. And I don't, I actually don't blame a lot of fighters for this. Like, I don't blame a lot of fighters for this. Mahayev, I'm sure Mahayev was offered to a lot of guys in the 125 pound division. Probably guys top 15, maybe guys like in the top 10 were offered that fight. But like, again, the risk reward is just not there. Like Tim, I liked the Tim Elliott call out from Mahayev. I thought it was a great call out. And Tim Elliott's a dog. He's a he's a G. He'll fight anybody. But at this point in his career, especially after the long layoff that he had, he's trying to make money, he's trying to win fights. Risk reward is is an important thing. It's something that has to be thought about. It's something that has to be put into play. And for Tim Elliott, I don't blame him for being like, nah, not right now. Win a couple fights, then I'll fight you. The risk reward isn't there. But it's just it's it's kind of telling that the UFC had to go outside the promotion to find a flyweight to fight Mahayev, which listen, the guy is super talented. And I've said this before. I am very confident he will be a UFC flyweight champion someday. And I'm very confident that he will win the Bantamweight title someday. I think he's that good. I am that high on him. And he's super young. He's eight years away from his athletic from his athletic prime, and he's still this talented. He is a blue chipper. He is impressive, and Charles Johnson's no joke. I love the matchup. Really, really love it. It's good stuff. Let's get Bob Sexton in this morning. I mean, look at this picture. He's got the full suit on. I mean, how can I not? Bob, how are you? I'm doing good, Mike. How you guys doing? going on hey man. uh man i just want to say i think it's pretty clear cut and dry the 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 next three fights for welterweight i mean it's 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 written you know right out it's 
You got uh, Usman against Leon. You got uh, Chemaev uh, versus Kobe. And then you've got um, Burns versus um, uh, Muhammad. I mean, it's clear cut and dry. There's your there's your three fights. It'll eliminate some people. And then uh, as far as, you know, people saying anything about what you said about Bilal's call out, I mean, I, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, I mean, these guys have management. They've got coaches around them. These things sh- should be discussed before they go out. You know, if you win here, here, the, like I said, it's laid out. Here's, here's the course. You're not going to get these fights. Let's, let's go hard in the paint and let's, let's call out Gilbert Burns or yeah, you can throw your Chamaya. I know you're real big on the Chamaya one, you know, you should have went hard in the paint for him, but I think realistically that fight wouldn't happen after the, after this win for him. And uh, yeah, man, I just, like I said, to me, it's just so clear cut and dry. And I absolutely agree with you that going after Usman or Covington, that's just not going to happen. Thank you, Bob. I appreciate that. Yeah. Listen, again, I am a proponent of shooting for the stars and hoping you pull something down. Right. But I mean, come on, man. Like you just made this mistake. You beat wonder boy. Again, and Shamayev's right there. He's right there. And you get on the mic and you call out Usman. Like, you're just waiting. It's like a buildup. It's like you're at an award show and you're like, okay, this guy's definitely going to win. This guy's definitely going to win. And you're just, and, and it's anticipation. You're waiting for them to officially announce it. And then they announce somebody who you would never thought would win. And you're like, oh, come on. And that's how I felt about these the last two Muhammad calls. And I was this one hurt a little, this one stung a little more because I felt like he knew the mistake he made after the Wonder Boy fight. Calling out Usman was just silly. It was just it was a bad, it was a bad move. But again, if he called out Shemayev there, it wouldn't have been Gilbert Burns in that fight with Hamza Shemayev at UFC 273. Probably would have been Bilal Muhammad in that fight at UFC 273. And I think Muhammad knew that. And he was like, damn it. So he went on the media tour, and then he started calling on Hamza. Okay, cool. But you had your chance. The window closed. You could say it and try to create headlines, but what everyone's going to remember is you taking that opportunity and you calling out the champion in a fight that you were nowhere near, especially from a UFC level of business. And then you have another chance. You go out and you beat Vicente Luque, a guy who is super scary, very boogeyman-ish in this division, a guy that was so vicious. Caposa was calling the all-violence champion. We know how, how respected Caposa is in this space. And Blah goes out there, puts on a, 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 a frustrating performance if you're, if you're a Luque fan, just goes out there, stifles him, shuts him down, gets a big win, negates a knockout loss from several years back, and here you go, man. Shamayev's the talk of the town. People feel like his stock has dropped. He's been the most talked about thing since UFC 273. You get a live mic in front of you. Here's your chance, man. Even if you don't get it, people are going to talk about it and be like, damn, that Bilal Muhammad. What a gangster. This guy doesn't give any Fs. Went after the boogeyman. Went after the big bad Shamayev. Respect. And here's the thing. If they can't get the fight with Colby done, guess who the first phone call is going to be to? It's going to be to Bilal Muhammad. He gets the first phone call. Why? Because they remember him getting on a live microphone, talking to Daniel Cormier, calling him out, and cutting a promo on him. 
But instead he calls out Colby and it was just like, uh, really? Colby's not going to take that fight. He's just not. And it's not because he's afraid. It's because he's a businessman. He's a prize fighter. It's like Nate Diaz. Nate Diaz isn't going to fight Bilal Muhammad. Why would he? It does nothing for him. Same with Colby. That's all. Again, this is Bellator. If this was Bellator, Bilal probably gets that fight. Or at least they'll offer it. But Colby Colby is not going to fight Bilal Muhammad. He might not even know who Bilal Muhammad is. Honestly. And I'm not saying that disrespectfully. I'm saying that true, like with true honesty. He might not even know who Bilal Muhammad is. But I hated the call out. It was awful. It was just not good. It was just not good. Now, if you want to call Colby out, you do it reverse. You call out Shemaev, then you do the media tour, you double down on that, and then you can mention Colby. That's the way you do it. You don't do it the other way. That live microphone is so important. It really is in those spots, especially if you're a guy like Bilal who's winning fights, trying to get that respect, breaking into the top five. That's your moment. That's the moment everyone's going to remember. Tristan, let's get you in here. What's up, buddy? Hey, Mike. Um, so, hey, pal. Uh, before you uh, give me your list, um, two, two things. Um, I did listen to your interview with Dracar Close. And I was, I want to know your reaction because I was taken aback when he named the trainer. And that was Eddie Child. I was like, it, it threw me off. I was like, what? You know, when uh, he had his beef at, uh, I guess, Fight Ready. So uh, your reaction to that, because I, I didn't get to hear that. And then as far as my, uh, my on my list with Brendan Roy Val, I just don't know if he's going to be able to beat any of the guys above the top five. I mean, I think he could. He's got a fight against uh, Matt Schnell. I think he could win that fight. And then I think he could beat Alex Perez. But, I mean, Pantoja's looked great. Askarov, Askarov is going to be Askarov's Askarov. And then Kai Kai Friends is a totally different fighter. So, I mean, if you lose to any of those guys, I don't think the title shot's going to be there. But, um, you know, that's all I got to say about that. So, I'll let you speak. Thanks, man. Yeah, I was uh... – I was surprised he dropped the name. I think he kind of gave it away. So I don't think he really had a choice because <laughs> he's like, yeah, I, he talked about it in all the other interviews. He'd never really named the coach, but then he kind of let it slip that he followed him over to fight ready. So I kind of knew what it was. And I think he knew that I knew who it was. So he dropped the name of Eddie Chow, which was, I have to say it was kind of surprising because I've known Eddie for a long time and I've never heard anyone really say that about Eddie. So that was, that was a little interesting. Uh, let me see. And, and then the Brandon Royval thing, listen, he fought Kai Car France and he beat him. And it wasn't all, it wasn't that long ago. He finished him. That fight was insane. By the way, if you haven't watched that fight, go back and watch it. Brandon Royval versus Kai Car France. It's ridiculous. Go back in and, and enjoy some absolute chaos. Uh, but Royval's good, man. And that's why he was, and, and that's why I, I was probably more excited about Brandon Royval signing to the UFC than anybody, because I knew this is the kind of fighter you're going to get. Now you have to find a way to control that chaos in a way. You have to find a way to take the Justin Gaethje of Brandon Royval and just tone it down a, a little bit. Like use the chaos to your advantage, but not be chaotic 100% of the time. And Gaethje, you could say that he's chaotic 100% of the time, but at least he tones it down a little bit. He, he does it in spurts. He picks the right spots for it. He's just kind of a zombie 
if you will. And Roy Val's the same way in, in a lot of respects. Roy Val's super fun to watch. And I do think he could fight for a title. I really do. It's just a matter of honing, honing that and getting it all together. Cause he's still a young guy. He hasn't been a full-time fighter for a very, for very long. He was working multiple jobs. He's still trying to kind of figure that whole thing out. Like how can I, what is it like being a full-time fighter? How can I balance out the rest of my life and not just think about fighting all the time, every second? How can I still be a student of the game but not be obsessed with fighting? The Brandon Royval, and I love like the psychological side of fighting, the mindset of a fighter, and I think Brandon Royval would be a very interesting guy to just kind of study the mindset of a fighter because he's every time I interview him, it turns into like a therapy session in a way where I'm just so fascinated by the way he approaches the sport. Oh, and Tristan, the damn list. Um, I mean, I talked about the contending for a title one, I think, pretty well. I liked a lot of your names. Uh, I'm going to add Muhammad Bahayev to the list. I think that's the fifth guy that I have. And the top five UFC fighters that you think may never contend for a title, but are the most fun to watch. Uh, I liked your list as well. I like the Julian Arosa. I think Charles Jordan's a good name. Nico Price is a good name. Michelle Pajeda is a good name. I don't I like Michelle Pajeda. I think he's super talented. I just don't think he's fighting for a title. Uh, what's another name? Man, I have to think about it. Let me see. There's got to be somebody else out there. Pedro Munoz. He's an exciting guy. I don't know. I, sh- I should have spent more time on that, Tristan. I'm sorry. But I liked a lot of your answers. That makes you feel good. All right, let's let's fire through these. Elon. Elon, are you there? Yes. Hello, Mike. What's going on? Hey, so while we're on the topic of flyweights, um, I have a question about, um, I'm sorry, Mohammed Makhayev. And I have a question about the starweights that are fighting this weekend that no one really seems to care about, but I think it's a fun fight. Um, With Mokhayev, my question is, if you're a ranked flyweight, say Rogerio Bontarin or Mateus Nicolau, whoever, in the bottom half of the ranked flyweights, why not fight Mokhayev now while you can get him while he's super young and super raw, Um, although he does appear to have pretty refined skills? Um, why not fight him now? And then my question regarding the strawweights is, what are the stakes for this fight? I'm kind of confused whether um, whether Lemos is a position to be fighting for a belt if she wins like this fight or a next one, and the next one, um, coming off of a pretty controversial split decision against um, uh, Angela Hill that I thought Hill won, and I think on MMA decisions like 11 media members scored it for Hill or something like that. So that's all I got. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, sir. I want to hang out with that guy's hanging out. It's kind of, he was like, he was at an outdoor bar at 8.53 a.m. Eastern time. And yeah, let's go. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Makhayev's real good. And I think, I don't think people were, ex- I mean, I was expecting him to be that good. And I think those who have followed his amateur career and those who followed his short professional career kind of understood what they were getting with this guy. But you always have those questions. What's going to happen when you actually step in that octagon and those lights are upon you? Are you going to be able to fulfill the same thing? The quote-unquote octagon jitters, are they going to be there? And if so, 
How much will they be there? How much will they will they play a factor in these fights? And Mahayev, Cody Durden is a good fighter. Like he's a tough dude. You may not like some of the things that come out of his mouth, but the guy can scrap. And Mahayev ran that man over. Nobody runs that guy over. And he went out there and ran him over in less than a minute. That opened up a lot of eyes. They were like, damn, this guy is as good as advertised, might even be better. And I think Flyweight's kind of a different division. It's not as deep as welterweight and lightweight and bantamweight. It's a fun division. It's a division that's growing up and is starting to get some steam, especially over the last couple of years with Cejudo and then Figueredo and now, and then Moreno and then back to Figueredo. There's a lot of buzz around 125. It's kind of like how we view the women's strawweight division, which we'll get to next, but you just know like these guys aren't going to let you down. You know, if there's a flyaway fight on the card, yeah, maybe they bury it on the prelims or whatever, and they shouldn't do that, but you know the fight's going to deliver. And that's why. It's just not a deep division. There's probably like 30 guys in this division, so every fight counts a lot more at flyweight than it does at welterweight, and it does it at lightweight and, and featherweight and so forth and so on. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, you could have that mentality, but again, is the juice worth the squeeze to fight this killer right now for – very little reward. I mean, he's unranked. Does nothing really for you. It's just a scary fight. And unless they offer you some more money, I just, I mean, the risk reward is, is just not there. I get it. I get it. That's why I had no issue with Tim Elliott being like, nah, I'm going to fight you, man. Win a couple more, then I'll fight you. Make the fight a little more valuable to them. But it's tough. He's really good. And then, yeah, listen, Lamos, Adraj is a fun fight. I mean, if we're looking at UFC rankings, it is a good fight. I think Lemos, I'm, I'm kind of stunned by this matchmaking because, again, you mentioned the Angela Hill fight, and I thought she – it was close. I don't think it was a robbery. I might have scored it for Hill. I have to go back and watch it and just to, like, double-check because I believe that was the same card as – because I was in Tampa. I believe it was the same night as the Jake Paul Tyron Woodley 2 fight, and I was in the arena covering that craziness as that show was going on. So I watched it. It was kind of on, on my laptop as the proceedings are going on in Tampa. So I didn't watch it fully close, but I know a lot of people thought Angela Hill won that fight. And that's kind of the story of Angela Hill's career at this point. Like she's in all these great scraps with tough fighters and loses these close decisions more often than not. But yeah, I mean, maybe what's it say? Not a title shot. I can tell you that, but maybe, Maybe you find your way into a fight with like a Marina Rodriguez or something and maybe a number one contender fight. I don't know. I don't know. It's just, uh, it's kind of a, not a placeholder fight, but we're kind of just trying to keep our same spot. That's where they're at. But you have two must win for both ladies for sure in the title discussion. But in terms of like moving forward, you're kind of just defending your spot. At least that's the way I look at it. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're going to take a couple more. Let's get Max in here. Max, what's up? Max? Hey, what's up? Hello. Mr. Heck, how are you doing? How are Apologies you? Uh, if my phone dies. It is a terrible phone. Um, but just wanted to ask your opinion on the Dan Hardy, Diego Sanchez about. I know you reported it. Um. A lot of things to talk about with that, obviously, with Diego's recent history, Dan Hardy's decade-long absence. And, um, yeah, I just kind of – I'll jump off here just so my phone doesn't die and leave me in the lurch. But I wanted to hear your opinion on it. Thanks very much. Thank you, Max. Check out On Point MMA. Do good work over there. The fight's stupid. It's dumb. I hate it. Absolutely hate it. Pretty awful. If they're, I hope they're making – I hope they're each making like a million dollars. Then it like softens the blow a little bit. But no interest in it whatsoever. I mean, literally no interest. I really hope, like, listen, I'm a company man. I'm a company guy. And if MMA Fighting says, hey, Mike, listen, you drew the short straw. You got to cover it. You got to watch it. Then I guess I'll watch it. But that's literally the only way I'm watching that fight. I hate it. I mean, I honestly, I hate it. I hate it. Now, you want to throw Diego Sanchez in an MMA fight? You want to throw him in a grappling match? Let's party. Let's have a good time. I just don't want to live in a world where Diego Sanchez gets punched in the face. I just don't want to live in that world, especially a boxing match. Like, MMA might get punched in the face, but he's not going to get punched in the face as much as he would in a boxing match. And I know it's an exhibition, and I know it's 16-ounce gloves, but we have two guys who aren't necessarily boxers. We got Dan Hardy and Diego Sanchez. We're going to go in there and just going to throw bombs at each other. They're just going to throw 100 miles an hour at each other. Like, who wants to see this? Who wants to see this? I mean, if you do, if that's your cup of tea, then, hey, listen, you are who you are, fine. But in my eyes, this is dumb. This is dumb. Whatever. Get paid. Functionally Crazy Chris. Good morning, my man. Are you watching Dan Hardy versus Diego Sanchez on July 2nd? Make sure you unmute. Functionally crazy, Chris. Unmute. Let's go. Yeah, sorry, dude. Um, Here we go. What's actually, up? it's kind of funny, right? It's kind of funny that's going on. If I find myself with nothing to do and I see a notification on Twitter or something that that's happening that night, <laughs> like, I guess I'll watch that. But it is weird, right? It's the Obviously. same day as uh, it's the same day as two seventy six. So wow. like, if if you want to drop that, do. you want to drop it at noon. Yeah, you want to throw that during while I'm eating my turkey sandwich at lunchtime. That's All right, so cool. Weird. But that's yeah. it. I don't know, man. We got Mike Tyson borderline knocking somebody out on a plane. We got this boxing match happening. Um, but I just wanted to touch on what you said uh, with Bellator. I even saw recently on Bellator's last card the. The common consensus that I saw was 
people just dog in Bellator for the marketing or lack thereof. Um, and I kind of, you know, I don't know what it is, but to me, if you put uh, Scott Coker in the struggling days of the UFC, I don't think the UFC makes it. Correct me if I'm wrong. There's just something about the guy that's like the lack of energy. It's just I get the feeling that he's just kind of like, yeah, we're second in the U- in the MMA world, and we're just kind of fine with that. I kind of get that vibe from him. It's weird because um, cross promotion with certain champions, uh, so on and so forth, would be kind of cool. Uh, and my last thing I want to say is I, I doubt you remember, but I remember bringing up uh, the Mauler Gustafson a couple of weeks ago, and he reminded me he had a heavyweight bout coming up, and then, of course, it gets canceled. Um, but an interesting thought I said, imagine if John Jones and Alex meet up at heavyweight. Just something that could be interesting. Uh, that's all I wanted to say, man. Cool. Thank you, uh, Functionally Crazy Chris. Yeah. I will say this. I've talked to, as Jed Mishu calls him, Scotty Copes many times over the years. I uh, had the chance to talk to him on Wednesday evening. And Scotty Cokes was had some fire in his belly. He did. Like oftentimes it's just you could tell, like, you don't get Scotty Cokes like just by himself. Normally he's he's knocking out like a slew of interviews, like back to back to back to back. And 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 I think a lot of fighters, I, I see Aaron Bronson that are on there, and I think Aaron can attest to this. Sometimes you're putting these in these media day situations and you're like third or fourth on the list. And you want to try to be different and you want to try to ask some unique questions and try to get the fighters thinking in different ways. But at the same time, it's hard to set those up without going back and asking questions that are somewhat redundant, right? Like you have to set the table with questions that they've probably gotten already, but you have to try to way to try to find a way to navigate in different ways. With Scott Coker, you could tell like off the bat, there were some different questions that he was getting that he really didn't want to answer. But then I brought up the PFL thing and how they're trying to get this Harrison-Cyborg fight co-promoted. And Scotty Cokes had some fire in his belly. It probably as intense as I've seen Scott Coker. And it's not like he started yelling and screaming and turned into Dana White and got all red-faced. But you could tell, like, he was pissed. He was pissed at the way that PFL has handled the situation. Multiple call-outs on social media. Multiple appearances on interviews. Multiple tags on Twitter. Not the way Scotty Coker wants to do business. He would entertain this idea. Scott Coker has talked about co-promoting with other promotions, if it's right, for a long time. Since he took the reins of Bellator, he's like, listen, you want to play this game? Like, we'll talk. Pick up the phone, call me up, and we'll have a conversation. That's why they've been able to work with Ryzen. He said that they're talking to Eagle FC right now about doing something with them, sending fighters to... Habib Nurmagomedov's organization, maybe doing something there. Not necessarily a cross promotion, but like maybe sending Eagle FC fighters to Bellator for a fight or two, sending Bellator fighters to Eagle FC for a fight or two. Like Scott Coker said, like these conversations are happening right now. So it's not like he's closed minded to the idea of a cross promotional event or a fight to book this fight because business wise, Booking Kayla Harrison versus Chris Cyborg, if you could get a piece of that pie, you got to take it. Chris Cyborg has three months left on her current deal. It's not like a fight situation. I think July, it's done. Like, Chris Cyborg is a free agent in July. Now, if you're Chris Cyborg, 
You want to, you have the opportunity to do what many people in business and in life cannot do. You have the chance to have your proverbial cake and eat it too, because you have a pretty cushy gig right now. You're making big money. You're a, one of the faces of a promotion that people know about, and you're fighting people that you are incredibly ahead of, miles and miles ahead of. You're making good money to win fights. Like you're winning the prize fighting game. You're making money, you're headlining cards, your face is on the poster, and you're fighting somebody that you're like a 12 to 1 favorite over every single time you fight. That is tremendous. That is a tremendous spot to be in. A really good spot. And now if you want to work on the legacy, you want to try to fight Kayla Harrison, Bellator could use this as a negotiating tool to keep you around. Because if you're the PFL and Chris Cyborg becomes a free agent, there's no matching clauses or no nothing. She's an all-in-all-out free agent. PFL needs to back up the Brinks truck and then back up a second Brinks truck. Pay her. Get her over there. She becomes a massive star for your promotion. And then you can set up that fight under the PFL banner. But if you want to keep Kayla Harrison and Bellator, you have to find a way to work something out to get Chris that fight at some point before she calls it a career. It doesn't need to happen this year, but let's get something on the books for early next year. Set it up that way. But I liked, I liked Scott Coker's attitude with that whole thing. And I completely agree with them. I have not liked how PFL has handled this situation at all. Like you want to go out there and make a stir. Sure. But know your audience, man. Know your audience. All right. I'm going to eeny, meeny, miny, mo here. For the last word. JK, it's you. What you got? Good morning. How the heck are you? Um, <laughs> Good, man. Uh, I got a couple of uh, ruminations. Um, I guess for the first thing is I kind of disagree about the GOAT comment with uh, Cyborg. I do agree that she's incredibly accomplished, but Nunes has just beaten kind of literally everybody so even though there's a bit of a mm, a stumble against uh, juliana uh, we don't know what juliana is going to look like uh, in the next year or two it could it could just be i don't know we don't know um but that aside my question is regarding the women's flyweight division I feel as though that for a very long time, since the inception, basically, that uh, Shevchenko has had an advantage in, in one way that is unique than any other way. I mean, obviously, her technical skill is elite and apex, but it's her athleticism. Like, I feel like her athleticism is, if you put Shevchenko in any other sport, I feel like she would be pretty amazing at it like maybe not the, like a professional level but she's going to be able to step into any sport and do well just by sheer athleticism i'm not trying to disparage uh the past era or the current era of flyweights but the next generation of flyweights say individuals like grasso or uh macy barber miranda maverick and any of the the new names that are going to come up even talia santos they have a level of athleticism that I feel like I wouldn't say is necessarily comparable, but they they can compete on an athletic footing with Shevchenko. So if they have a you know a close 
or a, a, like even a, a, anything resembling like a competitive technical uh, element to their game. I feel like Shevchenko in the next year or two is going to have to fight like much more difficult fights than she has had in the past era. Um, if you could let me know what you think about that. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think I think 125 is really is in a really interesting spot right now because you have some of these names up there. Now you get Misha Tate in the division, so you have a little more of a name. Of course, she's fighting Lauren Murphy in July. And now you have this sort of next crop of 25 25ers on the way up. Like Tyler Santos, who's getting the next title shot. Like Alexa Grasso, who's starting to kind of find her way, living up to the potential that a lot of people saw in her. Man and Fioro, Aaron Blanchfield, Maverick, Macy Barber, so forth and so on. This sort of next generation, this next crop of, of 25ers are going to be really interesting. The problem is Valentina Shevchenko, I mean, the athleticism is just un- incredible. The skills are incredible. But the fight IQ is really underrated in her game. Now, if you want an example of that, there are not many post-fight loser, and I'm, I don't mean loser in a in a negative sense. It's just what it is on the record books. I spoke to Lauren Murphy like three days after she fought Valentina Shevchenko. I mean, what a delight that was. I mean, this woman fought her ass off to get to a title fight. She got thoroughly ravaged, and she knew it and admitted it. She dealt with a lot of stuff that fight week. But she talked about like some of the things she noticed being in there with someone like Valentina Shevchenko. Someone like you can have all the the confidence and the motivation and the positive vibes feeling like you can go out there and shock the world. And then you get in there and you see what it's like fighting somebody like that. And you're just like, holy shit, what have I got myself into? And that's kind of what Lauren admittedly went through that night when she fought Valentina Shevchenko. She compared it to like playing one-on-one basketball with Michael Jordan. She said at some point her and her team had this certain like step-by-step process of throwing certain strikes and they felt like they watched tape on her and they were like, hey, listen, at certain points, if you throw this combination, she's not going to be ready for it. And Lauren said like the first time, the first time she threw it, Shevchenko was like ready for it and just blasted her, blasted her with a right hand and a kick to the body. And she was just like, golly, like this, this isn't fun. Like this is not fun at all. And I just think, I think Valentina's fight IQ, it's almost like she's two steps ahead of everybody. So it's like playing chess and then playing a game of like, please don't knock me absolutely unconscious. That's what it's like fighting Valentina. And here's the thing. A lot of fighters in her situation might just kind of get bored of it and just be like, eh, this isn't that, that fun and that compelling and that motivating anymore. Like this, uh, uh, losing the, you know, the, the vibe of challenge, like the challenges aren't there for me. And Valentina's just like, I don't care about that. Like just line up the bodies. Line them up. I'm going to send them down. I'm going to start stacking them up. And I think Valentina is going to get her shot at one at the 135-pound title this year. Honestly, I think she's going to beat Tyler Santos. At least it's a fresh matchup. Tyler's on a roll. But again, like once you're in there, Valentina, 
just the whole Lauren Murphy interview is so fascinating. She knew like immediately when she got punched once she knew she was like, Oh boy, this is a whole, this is a whole different animal that I'm in that cage with. And I feel like Tyler's going to learn that same lesson. And then at some point, like, what are you going to do? Like if Misha Tate beats Lauren Murphy in July, DFC's probably going to try to put that fight together. Misha is probably going to be kind of smart about it, which I, which she should a hundred percent. She should take all the time she needs to prepare work with Eric Nixick, try to figure out that puzzle and all that, like take a year off to try to prepare for that fight. And at the same token, just if you are Jeff Jacob, like if you're the UFC, just bump her to 35. She either fights Amanda Nunes for the third time, a fight everyone's been hankering for and calling for for so long, or she fights Juliana Pena who she already beat and Juliana Pena has already talked about fighting her. So, I mean, the options are plenty for Shevchenko. And then the next couple of years, she can go back to 25. Some of these younger fighters have developed. They're moving their way up. The Aaron Blanchfields of the world get, get, get a couple more wins under their belts. I mean, Blanchfield, I hope they, they slow roll. I think she is going to be a future title contender. And I think at some point, give her a few years, give her two and a half years, give her like five or six fights. I think Aaron Blanchfield is going to be a really interesting challenge uh, for Shevchenko, whoever the champion is at the time. Honestly, I truly believe that. I think she could be the one, but I don't want to see her fight for a title like next year. I want to see her slowly develop, slowly develop. Let's move her up like one notch at a time, couple notches here and there. Like Mana Fioro, like I don't want, she got up there fast. And it's not, this wasn't necessarily the plan. It's just, this is how it worked out. I don't want to see. Blanchfield up there that quickly. She's super young. She's got an incredibly high ceiling. It's okay to slow roll her a little bit. I think skill for skill, ceiling-wise, she might have the best skill set out of anybody at 125 of this young crop. But, I mean, and she's still a little green, too, and she's that good. And she's that good. She's only going to get better. So, yeah, 25 is really interesting. All right. I didn't realize you were going for 75 minutes, but golly, I have to actually like, I mean, I don't consider this work, but I have to actually like do work for May fighting. And I got to cut my hair and do all this stuff because we got preview show coming up at three o'clock for all these events that are going on this weekend. So join us then. And you know what? For the podcast listeners right now, I'm going to throw the Scotty Coker interview on this as well. All right. So you get to get, get, get a little bonus. All right. If you haven't watched Scott Coker interview on YouTube, give you a chance to listen to it uh, a little bit of a podcast exclusive for heck of a morning you guys came through in a big way on a free for all friday appreciate it very much back on tuesday 8 a.m eastern another edition of heck of a morning we're four weeks in 12 episodes down uh, yeah that's right four weeks in we're about a month into this thing so uh hopefully we can continue to grow this continue to have fun the podcast number has been incredible so thank you very much for the support thank you very much for having some fun and thank you for giving the MMA space the chance to have a sports radio morning show because this is what it's all about. We've been missing this for a while, and hopefully uh, this can help fill the void. So have a heck of a morning, everybody. Enjoy your Friday.
All right, there is a lot going on in the world of Bellator MMA, including this week, not one, but two events in Honolulu, Hawaii, Bellator 278 on Friday night, Bellator 279 on Saturday night, three total title fights, four potential five rounders. Plus we get the kickoff of the Bellator Bantamweight Grand Prix, all while coming off of a storyline filled Bellator 277 event this past weekend. So let us welcome in Bellator President Scott Coker, who was kind enough to give us some time on a very busy fight week. Scott, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for doing this. It means a lot, a lot to get into this weekend, but I do want to start with some of the aftermath from last weekend in San Jose, Bellator 277 main event. Patricio Pitbull regains the featherweight title, exacts some revenge, hands AJ McKee his first career loss. It's been about four days since that fight went down as we record right now. What's the first thing you think about in regards to how that fight played out? Boy, uh, when you, are you talking about the main event or the semi-main event? The main event. The main event. I mean, you know, a lot of people felt that, um, you know, maybe the decision should have went the other way. And some of my friends feel that the decision is correct. I think it's kind of split, uh, you know, down the middle. And, you know, for me, I always tell these guys, look, well, I'm not a judge. That's, I would, I would never want to be a judge in the sport. I would never want to be a referee. These guys are professionals at what they do. The responsibilities weigh on their shoulders. And you're talking about millions of dollars swaying one way back or forth could decide, could be decided by the quality of judges and referees you have. So we have a great team with Andy Foster here in California. And, you know, they, 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 they're the ones that came in, they make the decision and I, and I'm glad that they're there to make the decision because it's something I'm glad that I, I would never want to be, you know, in the, in those shoes. I am curious though, because we all kind of have internal scorecards in our heads watching these fights. How did you score the fight personally? You know, I, I actually didn't score the fight, um, like round by round. Right. So it's really not a fair, you know, let's say, uh, comparison to what they're doing because they're sitting down, they're scoring every round round by round, I might've missed some action and, you know, talking to this person and talking to that person. But, you know, what I saw was, you know, Pitbull was basically moving forward, trying to get the big shot in. I think he threw, I actually hit him a couple of times through a lot of nice leg kicks. I think that uh, AJ was, you know, taking him down, controlling the fight. And there's just a lot of great action. And, and I was really entertained by the action of the fight rather than scoring the fight. You were obviously very high on AJ McKee following the win over Pitbull, and I'm, I'm sure you're still very high on him, but you had said that not only did you think he was the best featherweight in the world, you also had come out and said you thought he was the best pound-for-pound fighter in the world at different points. Where do you rank him in those conversations now, and where do you put Patricio Pitbull in that discussion after this past Saturday? Yeah, I mean, listen, it's uh, it's obviously a good good debate now, right, because of what happened, and, uh, you know, I think that uh, – you know, you can't put him there saying he's pound for pound the best and the greatest fighter right now because he just got beat. So um, at some point, and I'm not saying when because we have other people waiting in the pipeline. AJ has talked about moving up in weight and fighting at 55. So there's a lot of considerations. But, um, you know, if those two wanted to run that back one more time, I, I would never say no. A couple more things on that card, and then we'll move on to this weekend. But there has been a lot of talk about AJ's contract status, some um, I guess, lack of clarity, like AJ had said a lot of things in the build to the fight, really talking about his goals of becoming a champion in other organizations someday, but also there's talks about champions clauses and some of that other stuff. Are you able to talk about what his status is with the promotion and where you see his career going in the next couple of years? I guess your confidence levels that he will be with you guys in, in Bellator, competing in the Bellator cage for years to come. 
Yeah, what I would say to that is, you know, I, I don't want to talk about his contract, you know, in, in the public because really it's, it's something that I don't think is right. And I don't think legally I could do that anyway. Um, but, um, you know, when I think about fighters, whether it was Strike Force or whether it's here in Bellator, the fighters that we really wanted to keep, I mean, really, really wanted to keep, which we want to keep AJ, we've always made a deal. And I, I think our record goes, you know, you know, I would say 99 and one maybe uh, in those efforts where uh, if an athlete is important to the company, can move the needle and uh, makes a difference, then uh, we're inclined to keep them. And that's, that's, that's what I would say. Uh, and I've said that all along. And so to me, it's like uh, nothing new. This is something that we are in the business of, you know, continue to work with our champions, and sign free agents, build fighters from the ground up. But AJ to me is, I still, I still see him as that kid uh, that was jumping on top of the cage when I met him at 17 years old and it was something special. And now he's, now he's really developed. And, and when you think about how much he's accomplished in the last four or five years, I mean, it's pretty phenomenal. And uh, I think we, I, I honestly feel that we'll be working for, you know, working together for year from, for years to come. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens, but I feel very confident about uh, our relationship moving forward. And then we saw the unfortunate ending of the light heavyweight Grand Prix finale. Corey Anderson was looking pretty darn good against Vadim Nemkov and it ends in the way that it ended leads to a no contest. Any sort of time frame that you guys are looking to rebook that one to have some conclusion there? Uh, as soon as uh, Nemkov is ready, we will rebook it. Uh, Corey, you know, I talked to him the next day. I actually just ran to him at a, at a restaurant in San Jose and, and he said, look, I want to fight this guy right away. And, I, you know, I feel like I was, you know, a little bit, you know, not done wrong, but in a sense, like, you know, there's three seconds to go, they should let it go. And, and so there's, there's just a lot of little things that happened in that fight that, you know, that, uh, you know, Corey wants to fight him right again. And Nemkov wants to fight him again right away. He feels like, okay, now I know what I'm dealing with. And that's what he told me. He says, uh, now I understand the power the speed. And, uh, you know, next time I'll, I'll, you know, beat him for sure. So you have two guys that are super confident. They're ready to go. Uh, as soon as Nemkov, his eyes healed up. My prediction, if I had to make one, is probably September, October uh, for that rematch. And the way I saw it, just to, you know, put a recap on it is, you know, as soon as the fight was over, I came into the ring or the cage and I said to uh, Andy Foster, why would you guys stop the fight, you know, three seconds ago? What happened? And I was trying to, you know, get him to engage in a conversation. And he's like, look, we're going to go to the video and we're going to see what happened. I think he just caught a lot of people off guard. But what, what, what happened was it was Corey that brought the referee's attention that Nemkov had a cut from a headbutt. And so, or he had a cut and, he, and, and it was very deep and all the way to the bone is what they're telling me. And so they had to stop the fight. You know, the referee didn't know how much time there was left. And so he, he didn't, you know, stop the time on purpose. It's just that when Corey brought it to, to Frank Trigg's attention, that's how much time was left. So they had to stop it. They had to go to the scorecards. They had to, um, uh, basically, they couldn't go to the scorecards because it wasn't a complete three rounds. I, I guess that's, that's what their official ruling was. So with three seconds to go, if Corey would have just kept pounding and not been such a nice guy and say, hey, look, over here, this guy's cut, then he, he would have won the fight because I thought he was up two to one in, 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 my, in my opinion. So, you know, it's, it's just, you know, unfortunate, but Corey's such a nice guy. He brought it to the referee's attention and that's what happened. It was, it was, it was very bizarre, very weird, something I've never seen before. Uh, but, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll run it back here in the, in the next three, four months. Yeah, and I think Corey in the long run would probably want it a different way as well. Like if he even, even weighing the three seconds, I think a part of him would want to at least finish the fight and have some like finality to it. You know what I mean? That's just the Corey that, that I've known over the years. 
Yeah. And you know what? The, the Corey that I had breakfast with the next morning or ran into breakfast with definitely wanted to have that fight. Like, he, you know, he wish he wouldn't have stopped the fight or brought it to <laughs> Absolutely. So let's talk about this weekend because we got Bellator 278 on Friday. We got Juliana Velasquez putting her flyweight title on the line against Liz Carmouche. Big opportunity for Liz. She has the chance to be able to call herself a world champion. She is a former military veteran or a military vet, a former Marine. And this is a military style events. You're going to, you're, you're, you're giving it all for free for, for military and first responders. And she's taking on Velasquez who's coming off a super close title defense against Denise Kielhos. Your thoughts on, on the fight that closes the show on Friday? Yeah, I mean, the fight obviously has big, big uh, implications on the line because um, when I think about Friday and Saturday for the female division, especially the 125, you have Alima McFarlane who lost to Juliana Velasquez uh, on her last fight, probably was probably about a year ago, eight months ago. So she's going to be sitting in the wings, probably watching this fight very closely. And Liz was a former teammate uh, who she trained with uh, that actually, I guess my understanding is that they uh, left gyms uh, or started, you know, that Liz or somebody left the program so they could actually not train together anymore. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see one, what happens in that title fight. Uh, and then two, you know, uh, how does Alima look and does she handle her business so she can get back and, and get back in the mix. So to me, as far as our 125 pound division for females, this is this is like a pinnacle. This is going to be a big, big, big uh, weekend of fights that really lay out the chapter for the, the next series of fights. Also on that car, we get a couple of uh, a play in fights for the Bantamweight Grand Prix. And one fight that really stands out to me that I was very excited to see when it was booked was Danny Sabatello and Jornel Lugo, because these are a couple of guys who could certainly be considered dark horses in this entire tournament. Is that how you view this one as well? That one of these guys could be a, a very sneaky contender in this Grand Prix should they come out of it on Friday night. Yeah, and you know what? We call them the wild card fights, right? And so they kind of have to earn their way in to, to get the, the fight. And, you know, the thing about, you know, wild card teams is you never know. You, you never know, man. In MMA, you don't know because one wrong move and you're laying on your back going, what happened? Or one wrong move and you're getting submitted. So you're talking about guys that uh, are, are, let's say, young and hungry and, and have the skill, and are they going to be able to take it to the next level against the guys they're fighting this weekend? And, you know, when you think about the fights on Saturday, and you have Horguchi, and you have Mixed, you have Archuleta, you have Stotts. I mean, you got just four killers in there. And so can these guys actually win and then eventually go fight, uh, you know, in the next against Magomed, Magomedov, and the – and the fights that we're going to hold in June. So the wild card fighters will continue uh, on June 24th if they win and fight the other two veterans that uh, we have in the, in the blocks. And if they uh, win there, then they're, I mean, if they win Friday night, they're in the tournament. And so the first round for them of the being officially in the tournament will be June 24th uh, on Showtime. And it'll be, we'll be at the Mohegan Sun. Oh, nice. And then, Let's head to Saturday. Chris Cyborg headlining Bellator 279, defending her title against Arlene Blanco. It's a rematch. I will ask, I know you're not big on talking about contracts in the public, but one of the big stories in 2022 thus far, and she's actually mentioned this herself, is it's been the future of Chris Cyborg as a Bellator competitor. She revealed a little over a month ago doing some media that she has one, maybe two fights left on her deal. I'm just curious if that's accurate to your knowledge as well. I mean, I know that we have, uh, you know, a certain time frame that we have to fight, uh, Chris. And I think this is this is one of one of the fights that we're uh, having her compete in. 
Um, but as far as when the exact contract end dates, I think it's sometime in the summertime. Uh, but we will negotiate with her and we will, you know, we will try to make another deal with her. Uh, again, she's important to the company. We, we love her. I've been promoting here since 2000 and she's 2009 is, is what I think the date was, or maybe 2008, because uh, she fought Corano in 2009 in San Jose Arena, actually. So um, I think August, August of 2009 is when she fought the big Gina Corano fight, the first female main event in the history of MMA uh, on television. Um, so, you know, to me, we've had a great relationship and, you know, business is business, but I think we provided a great home here uh, for her at Bellator. Uh, and I think Showtime really, really uh, likes watching her fight or having her fight on Showtime. And uh, I think that, um, you know, when, when you think about uh, the, you know, the, the friendship and, and, the, and the relationship we had, I think it's, it's pretty smooth. So let's see, let's see if we can put something together. Last things, I know we're running out of time, but uh, of, of course, Chris has this big fight ahead of her. But as you may have seen, the brass at the PFL, they've been very vocal saying that they want to co-promote an event with you guys to give the fans the fight that they're seeking. Chris Cyborg versus Kayla Harrison. Is this being discussed at all amongst the Bellator brass? Is this something you may be interested in if the timing works out sometime this year? You know, I'll tell you, um, I, I'm, I'm not sure because... Uh, just to be honest, look, I haven't heard from them at all. I mean, not nothing. And I know they know my number. And so it's, <laughs> I, I don't understand that I, I think they're doing a lot of social, you know, uh, chattering and, and, and trying to, you know, create a story. But to me, Chris is the greatest female fighter of all time. And she fights for Bellator. Keela Harrison is a great, great fighter. She's proven that. And she could be uh, one of the greats of all time in the future as well. But she has to grow and to fight somebody and to keep growing. And it's, she's, she's going to have to put years into it. So to me, it's like, look, you know what? It's, we'll see, but I, I, I'm confused by what, what they say and what they want to do because I, I haven't heard from anybody. And, you know, these social attacks are, you know, their way of doing business. I just don't do business like that. So, you know, I, I pick up a phone and give me a call and that, that's how we do business. So if they do call, that's something you would possibly entertain. Yeah, there's a lot of, lot of things to work out. I mean, like we've been talking to Ali about sending some fighters to, uh, you know, Habib's league and we do the, you know, Sucky Burn, I will sit down and start talking about December this year for the end of the year. We're not opposed to it, but it has to make sense for both sides. And there's a lot of questions because not only is who pays for what, who owns what, and how do the rights work after? And there's just, there's a lot of details of, you know, uh, of, of these types of co-promotions. And, you know, I'm, I'm not sure if we could put a deal together. And, but if we can, you know, it's, it's something that uh, I, I, it's worth at least a conversation. But like I said, again, it's, you know, doing business on, on, social, on social, just trying to take shots at us. I mean, you know, that, that's kids play. And we're, we're, well, this is a real business. We're a real company. And, you know, we're in the business of putting fights together. So you know, pick up a phone, give me a call if you want to do something. That's how I feel. I love the, 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 the Grand Prix fights. I love Archuleta versus Stotts. I feel like Archuleta is being extremely overlooked here. The betting odds are extremely in Stotts' favor, which is kind of surprising to me. It's like people are forgot about how good Juan Archuleta is. So that fight is super fascinating. Horiguchi mix is a super fascinating fight, especially over five rounds. But I, I do want to mention Alima Leigh McFarlane because you mentioned her earlier and how, where she fits in this flyweight title picture. She's fighting Justine Quiche. Sometimes absence sort of makes the heart grow fonder. She hasn't fought since that fight against... 
uh, Juliana Velasquez, December of 2020 was the last time she competed. And I felt like her losing to Juliana may have come at the right time for her. You know what I mean? Like take a break, refocus and kind of find the love for the game. It's kind of like she was a little bit burnt out, not by just being in Bellator, but just, just the sport kind of burnt her out a little bit and everything that comes along with it. How would you describe her mentality this week, heading into Saturday and getting the chance to fight at home and, and have a, have a moment in her return fight once again? I mean, she's excited and how could you not be? This is like, you know, this is a home game for her, right? She gets to have a home game and every, everybody has to come to her and she's going to be the, the star of the night. And I really feel like this is going to be well, win, lose, draw, whatever. She's still going to be, you know, the, the crown princess of the ball. So, um, you know, when I, when I think back at the loss uh, to Juliana uh, Velasquez, I mean, that's, that, that, that's a tough fight. And this girl's a tough, tough fighter. Uh, so, you know, she had her hands full, um, but, you know, there's some injuries, things to tie up and, you know, some, you know, things to, let me, let's say digest. And then, you know, now this is the comeback. This is the comeback opportunity. And, and I, and I know she's put the work in. I, you can see it just by the trans- transformation of her physique. She's in great shape. She's ready to go. And I think she's going to put on a great show on Saturday night. Yeah, I'm looking forward to, to both these events. Scott, thank you so much. I know you're a very busy man. I appreciate the time. Hopefully we can do it again soon. But uh, all the best this weekend and, and enjoy Hawaii, sir. Not a bad place to be on a, on a fight week. I, I will try. I will try. <laughs> okay. Thank you, sir. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over. Age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.